Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery and I'm excited to have Will Allred, who's the founder of Lavender. Lavender is an ultimate email assistant and as a salesperson, it provides everything you need to write quickly, uh, write high quality emails. Uh, Lavender's coaching dashboard gives revenue teams never before had inside and what's working in each rep's inbox. Uh, Will is also a strategic advisor at uh, for, for Dooley and a big thanks to Leslie Wellness for the introduction. Uh, welcome to the show, Will. Hey, thank you for having me on. Um, it's great to be here. Awesome. So, you know, uh, uh, before the show, I was talking about uh, how I, you know, got some great recommendations from from Leslie and and the Pavilion members in the in the in the in the, in the London community, especially for the fourth uh, anniversary event we had in London. Uh, but before that, you know, I, I just wanted to know how how do you get into this world of startups? You're also a founder of Sorter and Yovo. How did all that happen? Yeah, um, it, it's kind of an interesting uh, path that's led me here. So. Yeah, uh, coming out of school, I had an entrepreneurial type role at a company called Healthgrades. I think like for doctors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was there for about eighteen months, and as I was starting to think about what my next step was, uh, I went and met with uh, a man who would later become our company's lawyer, uh, guy by the name of Doug Spear, awesome fella. Um, he sat me down over coffee. And one of the things that he was like adamant about was, you know, I need to go either work at a startup, start something myself. He was planting the seed for the fact that I would eventually go into this path. You know, at the time I was a bit naive and I was like, no, I need to go into consulting. And so I spent a few years in consulting. And as I was in consulting, uh, I, I had this, um, yeah, this itch of like, yeah, you sort of start to recognize like, oh, it's, it's like there's something there. Kind of want to try that. And then it's like, what's the idea? And you start to like flesh out different ideas based off of challenges you're experiencing yourself. Um, and that led me to a hackathon in Atlanta um, where I met my co-founder, uh, also named Will. And we won that hackathon and I jumped both feet in. And we spent uh, two years building Sorter until we eventually pivoted that business into what is now Lavender today. So um, while the, you know, both feet in piece has been, um, you know, about four years total, uh, I've been thinking about this for <laughs> quite more time than that. Mm, interesting. And um, also, another interesting thing is that, you know, Lavender was also, you know, a product and a number one product. You know, how, how did, did you have to do any marketing to, you know, uh, get to that place? What was, what was the story behind that? Yeah. So product is an interesting place. Um, I, I remember those, that was like a full day event between my co-founder and I just being up 24 seven doing things to promote, trying to respond to every comment on time. Uh, one of the key things that we did was we found a, a hunter uh, on the platform to hunt our product. Um, yeah. So I think that's like a common, 
thing uh, that like can make or break your launch. Right. Because if you think about it, right, if you start with a solid footing, because right. somebody's reputation is backing you, uh, well, then you're going to see more clicks, more, you know, have a higher potential chance of getting upvoted. And so we leaned into that. That was a hugely successful part of why our product hunt launch worked. Um, but there was a bunch of other stuff that we did on top of that, that I think were the reasons why we eventually won. So the first being like we put in the pre-work. So before we launched, we spent weeks engaging all sorts of different posts on product hunt so that when we showed up on launch day, we weren't net new to the platform and we had at least some like credibility and weight to any sort of upvotes or comments that we left on our own um, page. The other piece is activating our audience. So we did that through a couple of different ways. Um, first is obviously just email marketing. So we sent some pre-work emails to our audience of being like, hey, we're going to launch on product hunt. If you don't have an account, we'd love for you to set one up. We'd really appreciate if you could like give us some support and like gave them some tips on how to like basically get the most out of product hunt. The uh, day of, again, we like launched, told everyone either through social posting, getting other people to social post about it or, um, you know, um, yeah, our social posting, other posts uh, on social, the arbitrage opportunity at the time was LinkedIn had basically, they had it set up where if you launched an event, mm. you invite an unlimited amount of people. Oh, interesting. <laughs> and so what we did was we created a, like, um, like a product hunt launch party at, oh, we did it at the middle of the day. So like 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, um, or after work if you're in London. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea was really simple, which is like we had an intern who moonlit as a DJ. And oh. so he came on and like played music. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, you know, do like some of your um, you know, email work while you listen to this. Like our only ask is that you just come in and you upvote us on product hunt. Now what was fun about that was because the way that LinkedIn was doing the notifications at the time, we were able to ping every single one of our connections within network and be like, Hey, we're launching on product hunt today. Come support us at noon. And what was wild about that was at the time we were in like fourth or fifth place for the day. Right. And over the course of that hour long DJ party, we went from fourth to first. And so like, that was probably like, the key reason um, that we were able to have success. Some other things we did were a little bit of rebranding around how we talked about the product. Some of it's actually stuck. Um, The idea of referring to ourselves as a really helpful email assistant. Mm -hmm. Uh, We built out some features specifically for the launch, things like summarizing emails that come into your inbox that are really long. read the room functionality. And then it turns out like those things are actually pretty helpful for someone in sales. And so we kept them in the product. Um, but yeah, some of the ways we messaged ourselves on the website were less about sales, which is really our like usual individual user who uses our product and more general um, to anyone who might come in and see the product. So there's a few different things. And like, I don't think a lot of companies 
have that kind of flexibility where they can just like change what they quote unquote do for a day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we, um, yeah, we get a little competitive. So we are like, let's, let's try to win this thing. I think the, the one challenge that we had during that day was Gmail had like one of its biggest outages ever oh. on the exact day that we launched. And it threw our MailChimp account into a tailspin. Um, so we were sending out emails. So we had like updates throughout the day that we were going out like, Hey, we started when fifth place, like uh, would love for the support. Right. Well, after the DJ event, you know, we're in first place. We're trying to send the, like the update out, like, Oh my gosh, we're in first place. Like, you know, send us an extra like so that we can win. Maybe we can win the week. Uh, MailChimp sees a bunch of bounces come back like yeah. over 50% of our audience bounced oh. and they shut down our account <laughs> and we were like, wait, <laughs> I swear we're not spamming. Um, and, yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that was a, that was a funny like moment in time. We're like, well, I guess we can't really do anything about that. Mm. But um, we, we uh, still ended up winning that day. It was a fun day. Yeah. Like, I had um, my co-founder and I, Will and I, we were talking about it. We were like, this has very similar um, feels to when we started at, at, at the hackathon. We, we slept like a collective three hours that weekend. And so <laughs> doing the, the um, product on launch, I was, I was laughing because it was like, we basically did the exact same thing. I think we both took a nap from about 4 to 5 a.m. and then... We're back at it. Uh, no, I, I absolutely, absolutely love uh, the story about the LinkedIn party uh, and, you know, how you had a DJ. I think that's that's super creative, you know, that's, uh, I, I think uh, creativity really wins when you're trying to do something different. I uh, love that story. Um, and, and, you know, just to, uh, and, uh, just for the listeners, I'm also a user at, uh, of Lavender. Uh, so, yeah, you know, you build a cool dashboard which talks about, yeah, you know about the users, uh, and you know what, what's the uh, how many emails you outreach. But you know, before like you, you talk about the user persona. Is it uh, are you reaching out to individual clients, or is it uh, are you reaching out to you know companies and trying to uh, like get the get the salespeople to use your product? Yeah, it's a it's a bit of both, right? So um, one of the things we've always expected to happen is you know teams to surpass and become this like, you know, core thing that we need to go focus on. What we've seen is like, as we've grown, regardless of how we focused, uh, individual user growth has always tended to match up with what we're doing on the team side. So for us, like it's a bit of both, right? We're a product for individuals. Individuals can use us, whether you're in sales or you're just a, say you're searching for a job, we offer our product for free if you're on the job hunt, right? Um, we have like different cohorts of users within that individual user base. When it comes to teams, those teams are typically sellers. Um, so like we consider our, our main use case for the product being sales. Um, and the dashboard is really designed to reflect that. So, you know, as you send you like as you send emails with the product, we're learning what works for you from a content perspective, and we can push that back to you so that you can learn and get better as an organization. 
Got it. And, and do, do you have a different strategy for, you know, for, for example, how did you onboard your first thousand users? Was it uh, word of mouth or was it, you know, mostly through paid acquisition? Yeah. So our first thousand users were acquired through uh, Slack communities. So um, at the time when we started, you know, we started bringing our first users in 2020. Yeah. Um, we didn't really know who our ICP was going to be. It was a pivot from a marketing tech product. And so mm. we tried all sorts of different angles, whether it was recruiters, job seekers. I still remember like my wife sent me uh, Airbnb, posted a job board of everyone they had let go during the pandemic. And I reached out to every single one of them one-on-one. And I said, hey, I'm happy to like talk through some like yeah, you know, outbound strategies. You're trying to land your next job. Um, would love for you to try our new tool that we're building. Our thought process is it's going to help you get more replies. And like, you know, got users that way, right? Yeah. Um, just however you can get users, just doing individual outreach. So that's how we got like our first hundred. Now, as we got to that hundred mark, and you know, every week it's growing ten percent week over week, and we're like excited about that. But we're like, where are they coming from, right? Where are we going to go get those individuals? Um, we started to narrow in our focus on the sales world, and with that, we saw these communities, communities like Rev Genius, Thursday Night Sales, start to come into the fold. Uh, we were just talking about Pavilion beforehand. At the time, I was trying to get into Pavilion and they were like, no, you're not in. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty funny because I was like, um, yeah, I was coming in as like a quote founder. And at the time, I think they like only wanted like sales leaders. I think it was Revenue Collective at the time. Yeah, you know? yeah. Right. Leader there, and I was like, "Oh, okay, cool. I, I guess I'll <laughs> talk outside the wall." Um, but it was interesting. The way we got started was we weren't allowed to talk about ourselves. Right? I remember this very distinctly within Rev Genius, which was like a small Slack community at the time. I think I was like member number like two thousand, and now it's like over thirty thousand. Right? It's like yeah. grown exponentially. But I think about coming into that. And anytime I would say anything close to being promotional, I'd get my wrist slapped and they'd be like, we'll kick you out. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so like, I'm thinking to myself, how do you put the brand forward? How do you get what we're trying to do in front of people? And we just leaned on trying to be helpful. Um, so we just started posting advice. There was a week where I just like um, Slack added audio notes. And so I would just like record a quick audio note and I'd be like, hey, quick email prospecting tip of the day. Yeah. One of the things that we're seeing on our end is that emails written at a fifth grade reading level are getting twice as much response as those written at a 10th grade reading level. Mm-hmm. Uh, some quick tips to do that. Shorter words, shorter choppier sentences. Good luck. And it would just like send. Right. Mm. But it was just like stuff like that where it's like, I'm not trying to promote what we do. Obviously, our product helps make that easier. But it's just like, how can we continue to just give? And hopefully in return, we will receive. Um, so we we gave for quite some time before we really saw a lot of that growth take off. But um, I think long term it's it started to really play out in our benefit. Mailman is a email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions, and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM 
uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Very interesting. You were talking about Rev Genius. We we had Jared Robin uh, from Rev Genius on episode number two thirty six. We'll put that in the in the show notes. Uh, awesome. Yeah, uh, and you, you know you talked about uh, cold emails. So uh, what's a what's a uh, you know especially for for sales and really guys. You know, obviously, I mean, you also run a course on Pavilion, but uh, what, what's the best way? What's the best chance to receive a response? And how how does somebody go about personalizing? Uh, the email to that, you know, they have a much better response rate. Yeah. So when you say, how's the best way to get a response, right? That and personalization are two things you cannot separate because personalized emails just get more responses, right? I'm more likely to read an email top to bottom if it's nice. specifically written for me. I think where people get mixed up is like, there's some fundamental flaws in folks writing but there's also fundamental like flaws within how people approach personalization. There's fundamental flaws in how people structure the logic within their email. And so those are like the three things when I think about content where people really mess up. So I'll start with personalization. What does that really mean, right? Mm-hmm. Personalization is not some box to check. Personalization is showing up and having a valid reason for interrupting the person on the other side while also providing them the context, which allows them to understand your line of thinking, right? If I just show up and I say, hey, um, I imagine you know, you're struggling with writing really good emails, or I imagine you know, it's really hard to train up your new reps on what does it mean to write new emails. There's no context there. And so it's like, you need to lead them in. And this is where like personalization gets bad rep because people just think that like that lead in needs to be anything, right? So you're a brave stand. Anyways, I imagine you're struggling with, you know, the following thing. And it's like the one does not equal two, right? And so instead it's something richer, something deeper along those of like, oh, because you're hiring, this must be top of mind, right? Where I think a lot of folks um, struggle is they think like personalization means something personal, Mm. Uh, but it rarely does because it's really hard to tie a personal thing back into something that actually matters to why you're reaching out. Um, So it's like that, that conversation of like personalization, relevance, what does that actually mean? They're not mutually exclusive. Um, they're just inherently a little bit different. Um, now, like the best of the best when it comes to personalization, they're pulling in multiple observations. So not just, hey, I saw you're hiring. It's you know based on your experience at X company coming into this company, I imagine thinking about you know hiring is da-da-da, right? Um, so... Um, personalization, it's not some box to check. It's really about having like a valid reason for showing up and interrupting them within their task list, within their to-do flow. Um, and that's really where like the personal, like the email needs to start, right? Because what that does, it starts the logic of why you're reaching out. It starts the structure and the framing of like where the, the conversation should go. Um, the, the message should really frame out as, you know, context, 
you know, why I'm here today. Then underneath that, it's like, you know, the problem that like you're assuming based off of, you know, what brought you here based off that problem, you could either insert some credibility or you can go straight into what you do to solve that problem and then ask if it's of interest to start a conversation around. And there's, you know, multiple nuanced ways that you could set that email up. You know, maybe I do an observation and then I just ask a question that implies that I have a solution, right? right. So maybe it's as simple as like, hey, I, I saw you're trying to scale the, the sales team up um, pretty rapidly this quarter. Um, curious, would it be helpful if you were able to have a sharper look at how those new reps are ramping in the inbox? Mm. Right? Mm. Obviously, like I have the answer to that. And I know the answer is yes, but it's like a clever way to like mask a pitch without being pitchy. Right. Mm. Um, so that's where I'm going at with like structure. The, um, and like the way that's structured too, it puts the frame of reference on them first before I'm like talking anything about myself, right? I think a lot of like times people forget the perspective of the person who's coming into their inbox and seeing this message. And we think about it from our perspective and we try to be informative. Right. So I'll use this to like transition into some of the writing errors that people make. Uh, one of the... Uh, biggest errors that I see folks making is the tone that they set within their message. So one of the data points that we have on our end is the more informative you are, the less email responses you get, oh, right? Okay. We pulled an email sample of like 28 million emails off across like 10,000 different users. And one of these things that just stood out was in cold emails, when you're coming across as informative, when you're trying to teach the person something or like tell them something, Response rates are just like fall. They no. just they go straight off a cliff, and it's it's wild because in reality, if you think about it, you see this in your inbox, and you're like, okay, I, I kind of know what this is on the other end, right? You sort of right. see it as a pitch, um, and people just opt out. Um, people know what's happening, and so they they pre-filter you, they categorize you with these like mental spam filters. Um, there's other things that sort of trigger that mental spam filter, right? If I, if I write an email, it's like, will comma one to two extra positive reply rate question mark. Like if that's the subject line, if that's the subject line, like, you know, you're about to get sold to, right. You've opted yeah. out before you've even opened the email. And so there's, um, everything from the subject line through to like the tone of the email itself, um, word choices you use, right? If I start my email with, I hope this finds you well, you might, but so does 10,000 other sellers who've emailed them uh, in the past like few days, right? Where that's the first thing they see. That's definitely you know, something they expect to come from a seller. There's these like cliches that almost sound salesy and they just immediately get pre-filtered um, or asking for 15 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. Asking for time, sending my calendar link, um, there's just certain things that only a salesperson says. Yeah. Um, so the, um, the cliches, this like pre-filtering, I think like some other things that folks don't really think about as much would be like the length of the email or maybe like the formatting of the email. Mm. Right. Um, we've seen 
since we started Lavender, right? When you first got started in um, 2020, you could get away with a pretty long email, right? Yeah. You had about 50 to 250 words um, right. before you really saw some major impact on response rate. And as our data sets gotten sharper and times progressed, that's gotten shorter and shorter and shorter. Uh, there was a stretch of time where like 125 was this optimal. And all of a sudden we just saw this pendulum switch and like, now it's like basically if you're writing a 125 word email, you're you're in trouble. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's like you're you're in like the red zone. Uh, okay. What's wild is you can get 65 percent more response by taking that down to a 25 to 50 word email. Okay. You can say you can say a lot within 25 to 50 words. It, right. You just can't really talk a lot about yourself. Hmm. Um, you, you have to recognize that the attention span, your, what your buyer is really going to give you is right. only about 10 seconds. Litmus right. has done a bunch of research on this and they publish it every year. Last year was 11 seconds. This year it's 10 seconds. Wouldn't be surprised if next year it's nine seconds. Yeah, it's getting shorter. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's wild, right? Because if you look at how many words someone can silently read to themselves in a 10 second window, 40 words. So if you're thinking about writing an email and you're looking at data saying like, I should write it between 25 and 50 words. The reason for that is because your email is more likely to be responded to and responded to positively if they actually read the entire thing. Mm. And so one of the reasons that people don't read your email is because it's too long. Um, the, um, the other piece I was getting at with that is, um, how they read it. So your email's first impression is eight times more likely to happen on a mobile phone. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we see is like sales engagement platforms have done a decent job. Like Gmail's like net new email compose window has done a decent job of like keeping the window fairly small. Uh, the impact that a mobile unoptimized email, what we sort of refer to as like where you've got like these long blocks of text or, you know, it goes into scroll mode on a phone. Um, what impact does have on a cold email? It's really only about 10%. Um, now 10% still, you know, one out of 10 emails are being missed out on because you wrote a big old block of text, but the smaller window size actually protects the sender to a degree. What's wild is when you get into reply threads and you look at the impact there. So if you use Gmail or Outlook, Outlook has typically got a much stronger impact on this because of the environment in which the seller is writing is different. It's much wider. And so it's much easier for me to just start typing and putting a bunch of information in. And it looks decently formatted because of how wide the top, the box is. Right. But if you're in, um, say, like a Gmail net new compose, it's like a two to one ratio, one line and Gmail becomes two on a phone. If you're in the reply thread, it's like a four to one. So one line immediately becomes like a big old wall of text on a mobile phone. Yeah. Right. And so they see that and they go, hmm, I don't know about that. Right. And they just move on. It's not that like the information was too much or anything. It's that the information was too dense and like your brain is like, wired to just like avoid spending the calories. And so it's just like, mm, I'll come back to that. Hmm. Or in most cases, they just don't read it at all. Hmm. Uh, 
trying to think of like some other gaps. I mean, probably the biggest would be the complexity of folks writing. You know, yeah. if you use the tool, you've probably yeah. seen our product tell you that your message is too complicated. Yeah. Uh, and there's good reason for that. Like there's a reason I can point to basically anyone I talk to and I could say, if you've used our product, it's told you your writing is too complicated. And it's because 70% of emails are written at or beyond a 10th grade reading level. Mm-hmm. Now, the best response rates come at a fifth grade reading level. So if you're thinking to yourself like, well, okay, uh, I'm writing this 10th grade reading level. I thought the person on the other end was like super intelligent. So like I should be trying to match that in order to keep credibility with them. Well, the problem is they're on their phone. They're scanning it in 10 seconds. Like they don't have the mental bandwidth, whether you're talking about like a PhD scientist or you're talking about like a CTO in some crazy tech company, or you're talking about an individual SDR, like they just don't take the time to like really dig in. We even had a team that like wanted to fight on this. They were like, no, the hill we're going to die on is we're writing at a 10th grade level. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like, it was funny because they had like a big gap in their data between like the uh, one to 10 range. But they had this like great little localized peak around the 10th grade reading level. And they were like, I told you, we know, right? Like we have the data, it's there, it's 10th grade. I was like, just focus on fifth grade reading level. I promise you, like I've seen this enough times. We have enough emails on our end to say you're wrong. <laughs> and they were, like, they were like, yeah. Basically what we found was there was like an interesting like crew of individuals who like, broke away from us and like, no, we're not going to do that. And then there was a core group of users that ended up writing at those simpler levels. I was like, here's exactly how to do it. Just, just try and copy paste my messaging here. Just try it. And it was wild because the graph went from like fifth grades over here, 10th grades over here. All of a sudden it just went, whoop. Mm. <laughs> and it was just a matter of they hadn't sent enough at a fifth grade reading level to actually have a decent sample size to make a claim off of. Right. Uh, I think that's been one of the like funnier things is like, right. yeah, as we've built this business, people try to argue with our data. Mm. Like it's, it's the data. Like there's not much to like argue. Yeah. Just it is what it is. It's math. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause people are like, are you really going to tell me that I could be getting 10% more responses if I did that? And I'm like, yeah. mm-hmm. Today, I have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. Interesting. And, uh, you know, because you've analyzed so millions of emails, so, you know, uh, your data analytics team would, would have a much better idea about it. But, but, but I think some of the interesting things to talk about, shorter sentences, 25 to 50 words, and I think it should be mobile optimized. I think it, uh, if, if you know people use the tool, they'll, they'll get to know, you know it, it shows on, on your genes, uh, on, on your mail that it's not op, uh, optimized, you need to optimize it. And I think uh, fifth grade reading level, I think that's, that's some of the interesting things. But, uh, but, but if I'm writing an, an uh, a cold email. What should be my, you know, uh, open rate, the uh, or, or the click rate, especially on an average? You know, what should should I aim for? Yeah, um, 
It's interesting. I was chatting with uh, a guy named Jesse Ulat. Uh, he runs a company called Lead Magic, and right. he is probably one of the leaders in the topic of email delivery. Right. Uh, so we were back and forth about a few different topics, and yeah, he's he's a fun guy to talk to. He's just like, you know what? Like the baseline metric for open rates and click through rates should be zero percent. <laughs> I was like, why is that? He's like, you shouldn't be tracking. Um, and it, it makes sense, right? If I'm an inbox or I'm, you know, an IT person and I'm trying to protect the inbox of the people within my company, right? There's certain things that I could probably build rules and start to track around. One is links, right? Because right. If you're tracking your link and you think about a phishing attack on the other side. Like technically they look the exact same because what happens on your link that you're tracking and you send over is you're basically sending them to a middle like software piece and then it goes somewhere else in the web. And so the mailbox sees that and it's like, I have no idea where that thing is going to. Um, That must be bad. So like clicking, probably a bad thing. so I, I push teams away from driving links uh, unless it's like plain text, like super vanilla, obvious where it's going to that kind of link. Um, and I usually only save that for like a follow-up email. I don't send that in the initial cold email. Um, and that includes in my signature line too. If what I say is interesting enough, what I found is people's behavior is they will go to my email, find the domain, copy paste it and put it in their browser. Uh, It puts more focus on you writing a good copy, but it's important that your email actually shows up in their inbox, right? Right. So um, the use of links, I try to keep those to those secondary tertiary touch points where I'm not using it at the start of a thread when I'm really trying to land in their inbox. Now, the open tracking all over the place, right? If you are tracking opens... um, yeah, you know, it should be north of 50%, but maybe okay. you're reaching out to like the enterprise. Maybe you're reaching out to big, massive companies and their email systems block open tracking, right? right? If you're on Outlook, Outlook by default doesn't let pictures open. True. Open tracking is just a tiny little picture within your email. And so all that happens is somebody opens your email and that picture says it opened and it flags back to your system. Now, what's interesting about the open tracking is the open tracking is typically associated with a third-party link. Hmm. So one of the things you have to recognize is whose open tracker are you using? Uh, Have spam filters started to catch on to set open tracker? And like, is it really something that is going to be doing your email net benefit. So you bring up two topics that sort of get me down a rabbit hole of talking about deliverability, right? Because if everyone using, I don't know, I'll pick on Salesloft here, not saying anything's wrong with Salesloft. Um, I actually like their team very much. Um, You send over a Salesloft open tracking link, right? That open tracking link, you you might be a good actor, but all the other people who have sent a sales off open tracking link before you might've been absolutely terrible and sent like total spam mail that's been automated. And, you know, people have marked it as spam before that starts to hurt the reputation of 
that domain link associated with the open tracking pixel. Now it is possible that you can set that up, attach it to your domain. Um, so like at Lavender, we use a secondary domain for the open tracking just so that we can like keep that under control. Um, the, um, let's see where we're we going with that though. Okay. So we were talking about like open tracking, assuming your deliverability is fine. You're getting North of 50%. Um, you're talking about like outlook, potentially blocking it. The other thing to consider with open tracking is, um, yeah, um, maybe they use Apple Mail. Apple Mail, for example, is actually going to inflate your numbers. So it's not a, it's not a great metric to go by. It's basically what I'm getting. Oh, interesting. Because you know we we always track it, especially with the marketing and sales. I think uh, it's it's interesting that you know uh, you know you should not. Do, do you do you think you should not track it at all, or do you think you know? Um, well, there's there's two sides of this coin, right? So um, if you're in the marketing side of the house, mm. you're not expecting to land in the primary inbox anyways, yeah. right? Marketing and sales have to split how they behave with email because oh. salespeople should not be sending marketing emails. Cool. Marketing shouldn't be trying to fake pretend send sales emails, right? Mm. Neither side are going to get the results that they want. The... The thing that's yeah, like special about a sales outreach is it's one-to-one. It feels yeah. like it came from an individual. Um, and you can accomplish a lot of that through like the tone of your writing, um, taking a more informal, casual, less informative approach when you're reaching out, just trying to strike up dialogue. With marketing, right? You do want to track those opens. You do want to track those clicks. Um, and the email softwares... On the other end, like the clients, like Outlook and Gmail, Zoho, et cetera, you know, they're smart enough to know because it typically goes out of a secondary mail server. So it doesn't usually come from your actual email. It's like, it's not coming from your inbox. It's coming from, you know, MailChimp pretending to be you or Marketo pretending to be you. And they see that and they immediately flag it and they put it in promotions. Hmm. Got it. Interesting. And uh, you also talk about follow-ups. So, you know, what should be the, the ideal follow-up cadence? Which should should be like eight to fifteen emails or something like that, or what should what's the right number like? Yeah, um, I'm a bit uh, outside the norm in how I would do outreach. Um, so, I cap mine around like four, oh, and man. we've we've run these tests before where. We'll run four emails and we'll book over a 10% meeting rate. Okay. Now, there's some great targeting that's involved in that. But the thing that like actually makes it work better than anything else is you've got a clear point of view on why you're reaching out and you re- reiterate on that throughout the messaging. So that four email sequence I'm talking about, the first email, super short, super simple. It's just like, hey... Um, you know, based on observation, made me think you might have this problem. We've seen that with, you know, client X before. Um, we solved it with our Y, our email assistant. Yeah. Curious, does that sound interesting? Um, that's email one. Email okay. two, um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of doing like a thoughtful bump, right? Where it's just like, hey, given initial observation, um, I thought this would be interesting. Did you have any thoughts on my last note? Mm. Or did you have any last thoughts on my last note, given yeah, the observation and what I thought about it, right? Um, 
that's one way you can go about it. The other thing that we've done before, and I got this trick from an, an advisor of ours, Christina Finseth, is instead of trying to bump your milk original message with zero value, give them something. And so that um, we've sent a few different items across, but the idea is really simple. You're sending a neutral party piece of information. So um, we put together this email where it's basically like, Hey, do you read Outrich's blog? Um, and so like what you're doing there is you're signaling up front. You're saying, Hey, I'm going to send you something from a neutral third party. It's not mine. Right. Um, which by the way, it generated a couple of responses. People are like, is that a competitive technology to you? Kind of wild that you would send me this. And to which we get to respond like, no, of course not. Like we work directly with them. Like it's a direct integration. Uh, so it just sort of tease it up. Right? right. But yeah, you send them a really interesting article with that. It's like, Hey, do you read Outreach's blog? They interviewed the VP of sales dev at segment. Uh, she talks about how uh, she scaled the company to a $3.5 billion acquisition by Twilio, but I think it's actually $3.2 billion um, by or without having, I'm trying to remember the email exactly, without having any can templates. Thought you'd find it interesting given the original reason I reached out, right? So like whatever that original reason is, given you're hiring a bunch of sales reps right now, right? Right. Uh, and then you link to it below, flat link, very obvious. And that's within the same thread as the email before. And what that does is they see that and they're like, oh, that's actually pretty helpful. What did this person email me about in the first place? And then they go look at the original email and then they're like, oh, that's a well-written email. They actually wrote it for me. Right. And you get a response. Now, the third email is like a context sort of refresh where you basically reword the original email, but with a little bit more focus on yourself so that you didn't necessarily leave any stone unturned, right? So instead of saying like, I saw the following thing, you might just rephrase that and say, hey, given uh, the growth that you're trying to go after with your new hiring plan, um, I thought what we're building at Lavender would be top of mind. You know, teams like X and Y are using us for the following reason, right? So you basically just regurgitate the first email, but into a new format. And then the last email was a breakup email. And that actually got one of the highest response rates across the entire sequence. Mm -hmm. And what was funny reaching out to sales leaders was like probably 15, 30% of those replies were them going, like, um, was curious when this cadence would end. I've been following along, taking notes. <laughs> and you're okay. like, and you're like, yep, it's over. Um, glad you enjoyed the writing. But like the breakup is not the cheesy breakup that you're probably familiar with. It's very simple, which is, hey, I reached out uh, for very pointed reason, right? Okay. I reached out because of you know your aggressive hiring plan. I'm going to chalk it up to my timing being off. Yeah, clearly this isn't a priority right now. If I've got it all wrong, let me know. So you invite them to correct you. And then you say, I'm going to stop my outreach. And then you have to actually hold and not respond to any of the other messages. Uh, and it was wild. You get like a crazy reply rate on that. Yeah, well, I think that's that's super interesting. And and can I can I sync all my follow-up emails on Lavender or do I need to sync with say Clavio or MailChimp to uh <laughs> to set up my follow-up emails? 
So if I was going to send those follow-up emails, I wouldn't use a tool like a Clavio or a MailChimp just okay. because of that, where they send, right? So um, I was talking about that with like the Marketos and MailChimps of the world where they go to promotions. Right. And it's because they don't send out of your inbox. They send out of a secondary party's inbox. Mm. So um, I'm always a fan of just sending straight from Gmail. Um, that said, we have amazing partners within the sales tech space, like Salesloft and Outreach, where... Yeah. And they can send on your behalf via the Gmail API. Um, there's plenty of other tools in that space. Um, but the idea is really simple, which is it sends from your inbox. And yeah. Um, Got it. And uh, yeah, I would wire them all up together though. So yeah. it's all in the same thread. Um, so that somebody at the end can go capture the context of the original ones. Mm-hmm. Got it. Interesting. And uh, Lambda also allows you to uh know about your prospect uh and you know uh does it sync with uh, the, with the prospects uh twitter and linkedin and social media mm-hmm. channels like like something like what hubspot spardot and think zoom info does or is it something uh which uh you know you do it with a, with a third party tool yeah so we uh we use a bunch of third party data providers for this and okay. the idea is really simple is we saw people struggling to research their prospects quickly so that they can write a personal message. Um, We know personalized messages are better. Um, We know the answer is an automation. I've seen that being tried recently. And like, the problem is it's like so shallow, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like, Hey, yeah, because of this. And then like it transitions into why Um, you're like, it just like as a buyer, I know at a certain point I'll see it enough times that I capture onto it and it just becomes like, you know, commodity trend, same thing as like hitting blast on any other email campaign. Um, so, you know, thinking about the email writing process, where, where that sits and how it works, right? The thing that we wanted to focus on is making it really easy to build a personalization process, not having to open up much different tabs, and providing the strategic prompts so that an individual doesn't have to like think too hard on what does it actually mean to start an email with any of that information, right? So it's not necessarily automation, more so as uh, surfacing what you might want to know in a current scenario, um, yeah. enabling you to do your best work. Mm. Got it. Interesting. And um, I, will, I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? Mm, a favorite business book is there's there's a few. So on the front end, I would have to say like how to win friends and influence people, just because it's just a great book on how to engage with individuals. Um, but post product market fit, my favorite book is Scaling Up by Vern Harnish. Um, that book has been absolutely helpful and thinking about where we were at before product market fit when I was like, Oh, I should read this book. (laughs) I was like, and I was like, I don't have these problems yet. (laughs) And now I'm reading it again. And I'm like, okay, I have these problems now. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. I'll I'll, I'll put that in show notes. And, you know, if you could go back in time when you, when you started lavender, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? The one thing I would have focused on is I think the one thing I would have focused on is 
being more aggressive in making ass for, I mean, this is probably one that like most people don't have a problem with. We took a very passive approach with our start of just like, let's give, be helpful. And like things will come to us. Now, I think that was a bit naive in retrospect and we could have sharpened our sales motion a lot faster than we did because we sort of watched it happen as opposed to making it happen. But if we had made it happen, maybe we wouldn't have built the brand that we have, or maybe we would have fumbled actually like a few key deals because we would have approached it all the wrong way. So to say one thing should have happened versus another, eh. but at the same time, like I think it's okay if you're giving someone a free tool and you're giving them value and helping them, trying to turn those individuals into champions to help you try to figure out your way throughout an organization um, was something that we probably thought about a, li- a little too little too late. Um, but that's how we kind of figured that piece out now. And it's okay. So um, that's, that's my non-answer answer to your question. <laughs> <Got> <laughs> Uh, and do you have any favorite online tools, example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom, anything other than Lavender? LinkedIn. Uh, there has never been a better time to be on that platform, um, especially with like tools like Sales Navigator, yeah. where you have like the yellow pages for everybody on in B2B. And yeah. you have the ability to share how you think. You have the ability to share what you think about how they think. And yeah. you have the ability to basically open the door with an individual in a way that you've never been able to do before. Uh, So yeah, whether it's through in-mail comments or posting the amount of opportunity that sits within that directory, that platform really is second to none. Yeah. No, I think think LinkedIn is one of my favorite uh, tools as well. I think uh, I need to do a separate session on LinkedIn and navigator and uh, it's such a brilliant tool, you know, it's, uh, a lot of things you can do on, on that end. Uh, well, uh, well, what is the best way people can, uh, people can reach out to you no more or Lavender? Um, best way to reach out is you can just shoot me an email, um, will.allred at lavender.ai. I'm always happy to be helpful if somebody's struggling with an email or if they have questions about the product, um, or you can just head to the website, lavender.ai. Awesome. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, well, thank you so much for taking our time speaking to us. I, I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Yeah, it was a blast. Hey, thank you for having me on again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.